What's up, guys? I got a fun episode today. Uh, this is a chat. This was actually published on... I joined Sue, joined uh, Phil again on his podcast, A Boy Named Sue. And uh, we talked all about just just Bitcoin, Lightning Network, so much awesome stuff. We really dug into it for, I don't know, a good solid hour and a half, I think. It was a really great episode, and I just wanted to share it with y'all. I knew y'all would enjoy it. And I don't want to waste any time. Uh, if you haven't done your you know, savings plan, your Bitcoin savings plan, use swanbitcoin.com slash guy. And of course, if you haven't gotten your BitBlock Boom tickets for the end of August uh, out there in Dallas, Texas, uh, offer code CC will get you a 30% discount. But outside of that, those are just my only two reminders for stuff right now. Let's go ahead and jump into our chat with a boy named Sue on the future of Bitcoin. You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. They attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. We are recording. Good. Oh, I had to sign in with Dropbox. Oh, screw Dropbox. Just kidding. All right, so Dropbox not sucks. Record, but it's great for for what we gotta do visually. You still look like you're in heaven in the background, which is perfect. I do. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. That's because that's where that's where I live. That's <laughs> that's where yeah. I spend most of my time. <laughs> you live in heaven. This is why you should build your own house, because mm-hmm. that's what happens. Awesome. Well, Guy, welcome back to the show. It's yo, been yo. a hot minute since I last had you on in December, I think, 2019. Yeah, it has been it has been a little while now, hasn't it? Yeah. Can't say I'm the same person, to be honest. <laughs> Dude, a lot happens. A lot oh. happens in six months. Shit. Seven. Yeah, all the Bitcoin indoctrination, It's it's been good for me. It's been fun. <laughs> Definitely learned a lot. So, yeah, today I wanted to talk about a lot of stuff, I guess. But mainly the future of Bitcoin. And what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think we're coming up on the next Bitcoin civil war. But the next like inner conflict is going to be the whole privacy versus <coughs> scalability. Uh, adopt, adoptability. Adoption. Mm-hmm. So as time progresses, we want our electronic, digital, private cash, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of why we're here. I mean, yes, the sound money is a big deal. That's pretty much going to fix the world as we all know but as we try to make it more private because yes we want sound money but with all these new institutions coming in and the legacy financial uh, players start buying more bitcoin like your paul shooter joneses 
and Goldman Sachs writing poo-poo papers, but then probably stacking fat sacks on the side. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're getting, we're picking up steam slowly but surely. But as they do that, they want they will want to financialize Bitcoin and just make it more pro. And whether or not the public must succumb to whatever restrictions that they impose on us, that might impede on privatized. I mean, not privatizing. Well, yeah, we want it to be for private individuals, mm-hmm. but that might impede on, um, yeah, making. <clears throat> making Bitcoin private and when you are going for mass adoption, ease of use comes from centralization and mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of off the bat, we can start with how do you feel about that? Where do you think it's going to go? Uh, hopefully Schnorr and other things. And I'd also kind of like to talk about lightning and how and why that's private and why other things like side chains paired with lightning will help with privacy as well. All right. So as you usually do, it's kind of a lot, but you know, just like tackle that or start eating that elephant wherever the hell you want and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so kind of how, how I see the priorities is like, it's kind of like an 80, 20 to me is like, is can we secure independent decentralized sound money? Um, Like, like that is the goal that makes the other 20% even worth tackling. Um, Like if that doesn't work, then the other, the other stuff is kind of arbitrary. Like all the benefits that we would get from privacy that we would get from cheap payments or whatever we don't really have. Um, and uh, because we don't have censorship resistance, you know, like like you can't have you can't really get privacy if you're dependent on trusting someone else to give it to you. You know, like like that's not those aren't one and the same. So that is definitely I mean, just like you said, you know, that sound money, decentralized, independent sound money that can be secured against any adversary is the problem. And payments, payments aren't that Payments just are not a revolutionary technology breakthrough necessary to make it work. Um, like we can solve payments, um, and like as far as like low cost payments. Now, I I want to push back a little bit with the the custodial like and this is this kind of goes back to Hasu's piece that I read just recently, which this might be where you know that started you know, that, that kind of framing, because uh, that's kind of the whole thesis of the argument is that... I think that and the piece from Meltem as well, the crypto alchemy one. Okay, yeah. Because I was actually doing like a little storm in the Telegram group. I remember whenever you read that. <laughs> I wasn't grilling you, but I was like, okay, well, you know, if Coinbase is going to have their thing, which, you know, fuck Coinbase and them <laughs> selling data to... IRS or whoever, but you know, if you have these stable coin like things, it's great for ad- adoption at first. But ultimately, if there's too much state infringement, what's the point if it's even backed by Bitcoin and people aren't owning their Bitcoin? So yeah, that's kind of what I want to tackle. But yeah, let's start with the Hasu thing. Okay, um, so uh, the 
kind of the the thesis here of uh, laying out the general argument was that uh, custodial wallets and custodial services are going to be able to offer a cheaper price um, and you know better features uh, and you know better ease of use and in doing so uh, people will naturally adopt them and then there will be a huge systemic risk to the overall system because you know if 50 percent of the people, 70% of the people who own Bitcoin actually do so at the permission of a custodian, at the permission of an exchange or a bank or something like that. Um, and those people cannot remove their money from that system. Uh, that, you, you know, let's say fees are $50 a transaction or something like that, something ridiculous. And all of them want to do, we essentially have a bank run on the largest Bitcoin bank out there. Everyone tries to withdraw at the same time and suddenly, you know, fees are $2,000. You know, they just, they just skyrocket because everybody's scared out of their minds and they want to pay whatever fee they can to get out of the bank um, because of, you know, fractional reserve or, you know, whatever it is that there's essentially a huge systemic risk to anyone actually being able to own their Bitcoin. And then that creates this, this barrier, right? This, um, uh, this huge exit cost, uh, particularly when the weather is really bad, quote unquote, when, when the Bitcoin mempool is huge and everybody's trying to do it at the same time, uh, that they can't exit, they, they can't exit and therefore can't, obtain their sovereignty, can't get their freedom. Um, and that this could happen in a bunch of different ways. And you could have an entire, you know, financial structure that essentially has the systemic risk underneath it. But herein lies where I think, um, just kind of the culture and the nature of Bitcoin being the hardest digital asset we've ever had. I don't see, particularly with the way this pushes things and the way the culture works and the way development has been so hyper-focused, I really don't, I, I see that becoming less of a problem as time goes on. Um, and lightning is one of those things that does exactly that because that is the ultimate power of Bitcoin is the assurances that you can give the user. And as we move away, like we are in a current financial market, like the legacy financial system trust is breaking down at an unprecedented rate. Um, and we're kind of moving from a, an era where we have just blindly trusted all institutions to just do the right thing to an era where we realize the entire system has never been trustworthy. Like that all the way down to the foundation, this shit is a scam. <laughs> like, like, and I think that is going to make people so unbelievably it's made Bitcoiners in particular just from knowing it, even even before the bill has come due. It's made so many people so distrustful of these institutions. And that's not something that just like you flip a switch and it comes right back on. That's something that takes decades and decades to build up, like to really build back trust into something like that they will have to literally fight for it. And I think it will be more that we will have to replace those institutions with um, uh, real Bitcoin institutions. Like I think, I legit think Coinbase is suffering right now. That, that they're actually 
um, with the amount of distrust they have sown in the Bitcoin community, they're not being recommended. Their, their word of mouth is suffering. They're like, I know I do not tell people when someone tells me they are using Coinbase, I tell them they should stop using Coinbase and they've come to me as a resource, you know? Um, and a lot of people are doing that. Hashtag Swan Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hashtag Unchained Capital, hopefully, because they're going to throw out an OTC desk. And, Ooh. you know, if we just have hundreds of Unchains and Swans, then we're in a good position. Yeah. Uh, unless if, again, JP Morgan's trying to extend their services to big players like Coinbase. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me of what the hell happened to the Federal Reserve, because that's exactly what happened. It was JP Morgan and Aldrich and you know, the other half dozen, whoever the hell that met on Jekyll Island, and mm. they all created a banking cartel. That is exactly what the hell it was. It was yep. a banking cartel. And my fear is that that happening to Bitcoin institutions, because it can't happen to Bitcoin unless if they try to go search and, you know, <clears throat> take out all the top developers, but that still doesn't matter because there are genius brains all over the world and anyone can pick up and start where they left off because it's free open source software so that's great but you know that gloomy picture aside that is still kind of my worry about these basically corporate crony capitalist ties happening Mm -hmm. and them trying to take out competitors because that's what happened is that that banking cartel that was created was created because they wanted to stomp out competition amongst the smaller banks working and developing uh, prosperity in the South and the entire country. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were getting rid of the deficit in America because of free market competition. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that companies like Swan and Unchained Capital don't succumb to such pressure like that or regulations. And it's already bad enough with the different requirements in each state and getting a license in each state and operating. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think one of the big key differences in how to think about this is that having the non-custodial option is in and of itself a powerful form of protest that is always existing in the system. Um, and like, I think it's naive to think that it could ever become what it was because we never had a non-custodial option. There is no, there is no, there's no way to not use a bank right now. I mean, you could do cash, but that is local. I'm talking about to, to make nationwide, to trade on the internet. There's just, just flat, no non-custodial option. So it literally can never be as bad as it is unless genuinely every last soul decides that they're going to be they're going to do custodianship. But in the nature of Bitcoin and the unbelievable hardness of it as a digital asset and the 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 undeniable truth of the not your keys, not your coins uh, that has led to this culture of don't you dare leave too much on an exchange. Don't you dare leave too much in a bank because you are at risk. Um, and the history of Bitcoin, I think the culture and the the lessons learned in Bitcoin push so hard in the opposite direction that it I, I genuinely think the trends 
and the incentives will will naturally prevent it from ever being as bad as uh, something like the gold standard was um, and uh, or is as bad as it got to essentially end the gold standard. Um, and of course, no, it's impossible for it to be exactly what it is now or essentially prior to the invention of Bitcoin, uh, what that situation was. But what's funny is we've actually seen this before. We know what it looks like in Bitcoin. It was while Bitcoin was small or much smaller than it is today. But Mt. Gox, Mt. Gox is a great example of this, is that so many people and unbelievable amount of the market was Bitcoin IOUs from Mt. Gox. And we know what it looks like. We went through a horrible bear market. We went through people declaring and swearing up and down and sideways that this was the end of Bitcoin. And there was a huge collapse. Uh, and, you know, the, the imbalance, the perceived imbalance went on for six or seven months. But notice it just the option of a small percentage of the people withdrawing took the entire thing down. That is the key, is that that imbalance cannot be sustained for an extended period of time. If you have 30% of the people like using lightning channels, 10% of the people using you know large amounts that they are um, depositing and withdrawing, and you have just four or five very wealthy people who have huge balances in some bank that is trying to trick that has a huge systemic imbalance for like you know essentially doing fractional reserve that cannot be propped up that is a short-lived experiment in an actual sound money system uh because of the ability to withdraw um and if they are turned down for that withdrawal then the thing's going to collapse nobody's going to put like, like the bank can't be sustained um and that's where I think there's just a huge difference here is that um, I, I just don't see it going the same way because there are so many, so many very fundamental elements that just don't play out the same way when you have a digital bearer asset um, and you have so many tools at your disposal that are non-custodial that can provide uh an incredibly comparable service. And I truly think that a lot of our non-custodial stuff is going to be uh, as good or better than the custodial. Um, I don't think I don't think that dynamic is going to be as great as most people think it is. Um, or as, as I guess we would naturally assume that it is. Like I love, like my two favorite Lightning wallets are non-custodial. Um, and yeah, I'm a little bit techier, like, and I'll put up with a little bit of like techie frustration because I know what tools I'm working with, but I think we're going to be able to abstract away in the same way that like your modem and router, like, like I don't outsource when you have a modem and router in your house, you're not outsourcing that service away from the house. You know, you're not, you're not, somebody else isn't doing that job. That device abstracts away all that complexity and you just plug the thing in and you followed what the little card says on the bottom and you connect your computer to it and then you're done and you don't yeah. think about it. It's like, the normally equivalent of running a node. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think, <laughs> I genuinely think that we will get there particularly because the development is so hyper-focused on that. 
Like there's you, you ask any developer what they are building, what it's important to build, what should be funded. Ask anybody in the Bitcoin space and nobody will tell you we need a better custodial bank first. You know, like <laughs> nobody is going towards that direction. They will be built for normies. But I think the the ultimate focus of the people who really care about Bitcoin, the holders of last resort, the people who are really the foundational legs of this entire uh, infrastructure are building tools specifically to obsolete that. That is yeah. where all the focus and where all the dedication is. And that's where the meaning of this thing is, is that let's replace it and fix it for good. Yeah, the first people that came to my mind was Ungen Capital, because that is what they are all about. They exactly. always stress for hold your own keys. And yeah, it's just the nice reassurance of remembering that these are actually Bitcoiners that are making these companies. Yeah. They understand and care about Bitcoin instead of just making the next great fintech company. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's deeply tied to the incentives and the nature of the Bitcoin system. Like, I think that's something that Bitcoin inspires in people as you learn about it and understand the truth and the untruth of the Bitcoin system when you figure out like, wow, like the signature is everything. Like if, if you do not provide that cryptographic key, it is not yours. Like, and there is no reversing it. There's nobody to call. There's no bank. This is the hardest, most independent money that has ever existed. And as you start to wrap your head around that responsibility of holding your own money um, in a digital way, it, it completely changes that dynamic. You, you think about security on the internet. You think about what you're doing when you're clicking on links and websites very differently. Like the incentive structure, like buying hardware wallets and stuff, the way that we're going to manage and uh, think about uh, security on the internet is going to change. It has changed within Bitcoin. It just hasn't extended outward yet. Um, and with that, I think... Um, I think our, our very mindset about all of these things are going to change in a big way because we've seen it in a microcosm. We, we've seen it happen in Bitcoin. Uh, and I don't think that we will multiply Bitcoin 10x without also having a, a potentially 10x um, uh, a spread in that mentality and that thinking about things. Um, I don't think we'll ever get back to the complacency of... In fact, I think we were already maturing away from the complacency of the oh just just whatever i'll just go to a website i don't care about security i don't care about my privacy and anything on the internet i think the reason i think that's a grandfathered in mentality that came from the days when nothing important was on the internet you know that came from the fact that we were just sending emails that you know we had only a handful of computers. We didn't do a whole lot. Like it didn't really matter if, you know, somebody could see my web traffic. I just went to Alta Vista, you, you know, like at the early days of the internet, there wasn't enough important information for it to be costly to worry about privacy, to worry about. It was more important that we actually figure out how to make the thing work, that we actually figure out how to do or handle video over the thing or to share media or to have some better a storage mechanism or something. And so we focused on all the applications, on all the short-term gains that we could get from this system. And that was just where we hyper-focused all of the development. And then we realized that we had let the privacy aspect 
just go unnoticed, like un, untalked about, un, undealt with. Um, that we had let security completely fall by the wayside and just put it on the back burner like, oh, we'll procrastinate. We'll, we'll just do that later. Let's go ahead and just make this thing work and then we'll figure out security. And now we're seeing the billions and billions of dollars in costs that it's making or that it's that it's uh, adding up to because now all of our information is online. Like in 10 years, in 10 years, smartphones are 10 years old or 11. Like, like they were basically finally landing into the space right when Bitcoin existed. So like it is, it's practically like yesterday from like an infrastructure prepare for, you know, this next stage of development that suddenly we have a camera just sitting around us all the time. And nobody ever thought about the implications of that. What does that mean to have every possible privacy essentially lost if we can't know that we are the only ones who can control and have security over our devices. And we're begin 2020 is one of those key years, I think, of everybody realizing just how dangerous setting that precedent was. Um, and Bitcoin just amplifies it. It's like it's like you know, dropping cocaine and gasoline on it and setting the thing on fire. Like, it's just like you realize how much worse it could be now that we have digital money. Um, and, you know, like, and that's why we're separate. That's why we're creating a separate security infrastructure. That's why multi-sig is becoming like a major thing. Uh, and I think it's going to become the standard, especially with things like Taproot, when you can have Musig, um, you can put multi-sig behind a single key and not know it. And then there's also just the ECDSA multi-key, uh, which you don't even have to do a soft fork. You can actually do that in the current keys that Bitcoin has, um, which is fascinating. I, I love that there's there's been kind of a breakthrough on that side of things. Real uh, quick, explain e ECDSA and when it comes to, to keys. Okay, so uh, the old multi-sig is well, old. The, the 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 current multi-sig in Bitcoin is a script, right? That you have individual keys, um, and uh, they sign like it's like a, a stack. Script language. as in like a like a program, like you script out, and that's gonna like dictate yes. what these keys are gonna do. Yes, but uh, script as in. Uh, yes, obviously, in, in that structure, but script as in we actually write it to the Bitcoin blockchain. Like you can go to the Bitcoin Login blockchain. Check. Yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, see the script and it says, I need two of three keys. And then you wait for a transaction that has two of the signatures. Um, uh, but all of it is publicly available because you have to broadcast it to the blockchain for the blockchain to be able to enforce that. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, the ECDSA multi-party is a way to make a single address, a single key. That, that's the only thing that you put on the blockchain is just the one key. But that is broken up as a multi-sig from the user side. So you're actually generating a, uh, a single key. And it actually looks like a legacy address, which is actually kind of cool because you have uh, additional security in the fact that you have a huge anonymity set because there's millions of legacy addresses on the system. Like they've been using that since the Genesis block. Um, legacy address, as in a uh, uh, starts with a public starts with a one. The okay. Segwit and the uh, P2SH stuff starts with a three, and then you've got the BEC32 addresses that start with uh, 
a BC, I think. Okay, okay. Um, cool. Like, so there's multiple address formats. Well, the one that is still the predominant one is legacy one. addresses that start with a one. Um, there's now a lot that start with a three because Segwit is, you know, 60% adopted for current clients now. Good. Um, Good. So, yeah, that's picking up. Um, but now we can actually, now we can put multisig behind both of them and not even use the script on Bitcoin that I can have my, my single legacy address that starts with a one actually have a two of three multisig behind it, just in generating the key in the first place, which is pretty powerful. That's, that's an awesome thing. This is your friendly reminder to rate, subscribe, review. They say the best things, they come in threes, like rate, subscribe, review. If you rate it five stars, we can raise the bar. Subscribe so you can stay in tune. And don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue. Rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. Wait, so essentially, it's creating redundancy without taking up space on the chain. Um... It's creating multi-sig without taking up space and broadcasting that it's multi-sig on the chain. Yes, you're not having to tell Bitcoin that it's multi-sig, but you have multi-sig. Okay. Yeah. All right. That goes back to great for privacy. Exactly. Exactly. Really good yeah. for privacy. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of technologies and there's a lot of things on the move like that. And Taproot is another great example of being able to do that, which does require a soft fork, but it's a really powerful tool in exactly that same way. Um, and, uh, it's a whole lot more, um, capable than just the ECDA, uh, uh multi-party, uh, because, uh, you can write entire scripts, you can do tiers of, I mean, you you could hide an unbelievable amount of complexity behind a single key with taproot. Um, that's right. kind of the beauty of that. Um, I mean, it you takes can advantage of the Merkle tree structure, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can, uh, like you can write a, uh, full, three three chain or three branch uh lightning um uh contract like with you know multiple execution outcomes and it's all just one key it's all just like one address um uh and so like a child of a child of a child <laughs> exactly um God, so broadcasting a lightning channel um on chain versus broadcasting a normal transaction they look identical um and that's that's powerful that is really yeah, powerful as, as it as it should be yeah like yeah. it's pseudonymous is public but mm -hmm. having alphanumeric characters where you don't know what the hell is behind it is really the goal yeah but um i i guess i guess what what makes it audible like yeah we want like an audit auditable blockchain is that just to make sure that a block is be mined or well, is that essentially why audit auditability is is uh essential auditability is something we want for the money supply and the consensus rules that's pretty much it mm -hmm. like we don't so, really care about anything else the problem is or the trade-off is is that there are certain degrees of privacy that risk the auditability of the system. So um, if we lose auditability, we basically lose all of the, 
the guarantees that are put on top of that. Privacy is a secondary guarantee. You know, payments are a secondary guarantee. Um, you have to have a sound digital asset first. And that is what auditing the entire system uh, entails. And there's just only so much that you can compress data without losing that auditability. Um, but that's the whole idea of like Lightning, of Taproot, of all of these things is that you're finding ways of adding functionality. You're finding ways of uh, using it in a far more dynamic and malleable way without compromising the auditability at all. Like right. even though you might have like five or six multiple parties doing a bunch of things behind the scenes at the end of the day when it's broadcast to the Bitcoin chain, you still just have input, output. Can you, does the, does the difference add up? Like were any coins created? No, good to go. Doesn't matter. We don't need to see the rest of that stuff. Y'all yeah. do whatever the hell you want off chain. As long as the settlement, as long as it's signed back to a settlement transaction that can be fully audited and follows the Bitcoin consensus rules. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the auditability is really just to make sure that the economics and monetary policy is still in check. We can all see that. That we still have sound money. And outside of that, Outside of securing sound money, outside of securing the consensus rules and the monetary policy, we don't want anything on chain. We want as much of it as possible to be invisible because then that's when we're worried about payments, privacy, applications, uh, you know, all of the other things that we can get with a financial system built on top of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. Did we cover everything you want to talk about from the Hasu article? Um, let me think. So pro probably just, I want to hit on lightning. Um, because yeah. he, uh, he kind of like brushes over in that article. Um, I think lightning is going to be, God, I think it's going to be unbelievably powerful. Um, I, I think it's a huge deal and, and I don't think at all that the, the dynamics of just like, okay, well, yeah, you're trusting the HTLC like payments going through because it's a lot of data. Um, now, an HTLC is the equivalent of a uh, um, UTXO, right? But just on Lightning. Basically, basically, it's a okay. it's a temporary UTXO when you're routing somebody else's payment um, that you'll never actually you don't actually ever want to broadcast to the Bitcoin chain um because yeah because it's just not settled right now it's it, because just like an itemized thing yeah you just wanted to go through over lightning you're just holding it before that payment is officially done yeah. um it's phase but, one yeah um but the the thing with that is is that you know despite the the trustless nature of bitcoin like the trustless nature of the underlying monetary base um is that we actually want like it's it's very important that we have uh jill carlson has a really good uh speech about this is that economic activity is still based on trust like we do want to have we do want to have a way to build up reputations to build up long-term relationships with this that are uh 
that do have trust in a sense like like you know like at the end of the day we need to continue business at one exactly exactly trust is required in doing business and cooperating the beauty of bitcoin is that we don't have to trust each other for the foundation of the value of what we are exchanging that the underlying monetary system is trustless but when i'm opening a channel with somebody like like into the network i'm doing it with a business or a service in like a country or jurisdiction or whatever that I feel safe in providing me a service, you know, like I'm not just like opening it up with the shadiest website that I've ever been to online. And like, I'm going to open a channel with them. Like I I need them to be online. I need them to route my payments and not try to spy on me. And you know, those, those sorts of things, which luckily the protocol gives me that level of privacy anyway. So there's not a huge concern there. Um, but Regardless, I am thinking about it from a trust position. Like I'm thinking about, do, do, I'm, do I have a reliable connection? Am I using a good quote unquote lightning service provider, uh, a, a node that's going to be online? Um, uh, because otherwise I need to broadcast a transaction, close my channel and do it somewhere else. So it's important to think about that, to have like a little bit of a node reputation um, because they could cause me an annoyance. Um, and I think this goes back to the, thing we were mentioning about custodial solutions is that just the inherent integrity and the message of what bitcoin has keeps people in check and people that are in bitcoin will operate and function for bitcoin hopefully unless they hate bitcoin like coinbase then that's not gonna happen but (laughs) yeah it's kind of it's a little foolish to say that we don't have anything to worry about but if people are in the space for the reasons of Bitcoin, then essentially, other than just the normal human error, which, I mean, man, we are all so flawed in so many ways. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's like we don't have too much to worry about if if people that have Bitcoin companies understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the incentives are very, very strongly aligned. Um, for, you know, reinforcing that mentality and reteaching that to everybody who comes in. Um, and uh, so, so I hope to see, like, like I, I think it's powerful just the degree of cultural shift and the rules, the quote unquote rules of being in Bitcoin, like the power of that, I think, I think, I think it's just, it's not arbitrary that those things have developed. You know, they are inherent to the nature of Bitcoin. Um, but I think lightning, non-custodial lightning uh, is going to be, uh, I think it is going to be comparable to the most custodial options out there. I think it's going to be as easy to use as something like uh, Strike, Wallet of Satoshi, like these other things. Um, I absolutely think I'm going to be able to just be like, you should get a Breeze wallet. You should get a, a Zap wallet or whatever it is. And that the onboarding through like things like loop in, loop out, um, being hidden behind like a moon wallet, M-U-U-N, uh, completely hides the fact that you are doing either a Bitcoin or a Lightning transaction. Um, and there are other things about the wallet that are not as user-friendly, but if you combine the best of Breeze, the best of Moon, and the best of Zap, then you have a non-custodial wallet that, um, oh, I would also add Phoenix actually with uh, turbo channels uh, so that you immediately are able to use it straight out the gate 
But if you combine them, they're already there. They're all there. They're just independent in different wallets. If you combine them all into a single wallet, you have a non-custodial Lightning wallet that the second you send money to it, you are able to spend through a Lightning channel that whether or not you are paying a Bitcoin invoice or a Lightning invoice, you are looping in or looping out accordingly. It will choose which one to make, uh, which transaction to make. And you have low fees. And if your channel balance doesn't work, you will loop in. You will you will uh, potentially splice in in the future or do a multi-path payment or whatever the hell it is. Like, I think this can all be obscured away. And I think we have really kind of seen like 90% of the pieces already developed that are needed to make that happen. Um, so I think non-custodial lightning will be as user-friendly um, as without a doubt, as many of the best custodial options. Um, and with the increasing use and focus on those things, I think we will also, Lightning is, has a huge potential to start a peer-to-peer -peer market for aggregating transactions. Yeah, um, you talk about this a lot. What, yes. what exactly do you mean by that? Well, if because you can I, I do... Get the, to, to the sense of like samurai and everything <clears throat> like for privacy, mm -hmm. like is that the only uh pro in this case but like when you say ag aggregating like what is coming to your mind of all the the positives of that splitting fees um lowering that exit cost for as many people as possible at once uh like hasu yeah. talks in his article about how the the banks, the banks do it the banks will do it and that will outcompete the regular user that they can batch a whole megabytes worth of transactions um, and that, that therefore they can also pay a higher fee yeah. and price everybody else out of block space. But people individually and voluntarily come together to make their own third party in a sense, but it's not their party. It's completely peer to peer, if anything. Exactly. But, yeah. Imagine being able to split that. If you can, if we have things like Schnorr signatures, if we have things like Taproot, um, if we can put multi-sig, you know, behind a single key, um, if we can, uh, uh, and if we can save that cost at the exact same rate that the bank can, and we have a peer to peer market for signing and aggregating these transactions together, like it's sort of like a, think about a combination of the tools needed in P2 pool where people mine in a decentralized way and there's no actual pool behind it. Uh, and then think about like the incredible orchestration that happens between something like a coin join and Wasabi wallet where yeah. everybody is adding their transaction data and all of this is being aggregated, but nobody is trusting anyone. Yeah. Like combine those things with the fact that you can pay over lightning the 10th, a 10th of a Bitcoin transaction fee mm -hmm. to into some sort of HTL seed pool of aggregating transactions together and then broadcast the closing of a thousand channels all at once from a whole bunch of people who are just participating in this together, who all split the fee over lightning. And then they have filled an entire block with a single transaction that is uh, done in a completely decentralized and trustless way for all of its participants and it gets everybody a hundredth of the clock. It, exactly. It's crazy efficient. So everybody is paying a tiny fraction of the fee that they would have paid to close their channel individually. Now, now, does this obsolete things like Whirlpool and uh, coin joining, do you think? Or uh, because I asked that because you have to pay a fee to do that. But you're paying a fee to swap your coins for 
anonymity and privacy and avoiding taint. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think this aggregation will have that embedded into it and actually obsolete those kind of services? I think it's it, absolutely possible. Um, and I think it also makes sense, too, because if you're you're already getting a pretty powerful level of obfusc- obfuscation, if you can figure out a, a way to batch transactions like that in a trustless manner, um, because there's no longer the one input to two output transactions that you see all over the place. Like those are one of the absolute, that's like the absolute foundation of chain analysis is that, uh, uh, that you can, there's so many just standard one-to-one transactions on Bitcoin and you can chase those strings of transactions, uh, to find out who owns what and, you know, get them back to an exchange and then, compare them against exchange data and you know bank information and spying nodes and all this stuff but this makes actually swapping the default and no one notices because it's just abstracted away essentially essentially is that so much is added together into a single pool of information that you're already getting a larger anonymity set but then also you can add in some of those things like the coin join mechanisms and stuff like you can Put a degree of mixing and, okay, let me use two rounds of this batching to open and close this channel or to move these funds and obfuscate exactly where they came from and who they went to because you can trustlessly swap in this situation. Do you think that's a separate service that you pay for within the wallet? Potentially. That might be a free thing. Potentially, but kind of the nature of lightning already is that you're using full balances, you know, like, like when you're moving lightning channels, you're more likely to be moving whole, like, like an entire balance of a wallet or, or something that you're trying to use on lightning because it's not a payment. You know, it's a, it's a, it's liquidity that you want to have later on lightning. So I think it makes a whole lot more sense too, that you'd even have like, fixed denominations, which is one of the obfuscation techniques, right? It's one of the ways to hide your privacy is everybody is mixing 0.1 Bitcoin on Wasabi. Like everybody's mixing it in exact, exactly the same amounts. Well, you know, you don't always want to send a 0.1 Bitcoin transaction, but you could open a 0.1 Bitcoin lightning channel. Um, and it's not really, you know, you could, you could do that five times to move 0.5 Bitcoin have 5.1 lightning channels, but you can still use them as a single balance. So you actually don't have that huge, you don't have that trade-off or that um, uh, inherent inconvenience of having to do that on Bitcoin, where you're constantly having to mix UTXOs, because lightning can mix them, quote unquote, you can spend from multiple at the same time without revealing that they are the same balance. Yeah, you know what I mean? One UTXO is just the like cap balance of the channel. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, and because of that, I think Lightning is going to, I think Lightning is going to disrupt a lot of the on-chain privacy mechanisms. Uh, yeah. Is that the power of inherent privacy on Lightning, and then the ability to easily swap coins, and for people not to be able to track over the network where it's going or where it's ending up. Um, I think the mechanisms for privacy on Lightning, I think CoinJoin and like Whirlpool and stuff may be used to open and close Lightning channels if it is more economically sense. efficient. You know, like like if it if it's comparable in cost, um, 
but I think the inherent privacy and the continued improvements of privacy on Lightning are going to be a game changer in and of themselves. And on-chain privacy might just kind of come as a consequence of that, you know? Yeah. Okay, so where do you Watchtowers play in this? Um, because they basically, in a way, mon- monitor bad activity. Mm-hmm. So how does that not infringe on Lightning privacy? Well, the Watchtower has no idea what's going on until something goes wrong. So yeah. when you are giving, you're giving the Watchtower just enough information to, to recognize a pattern that is to recognize when somebody tries to cheat you. Exactly. Yeah. And they need to be watching the whole blockchain because they don't really know the addresses, the transactions amount, the transaction amounts. They're given enough to rebuild the key if they see the other half of the transaction and enough to identify it. That's of pretty course. much it. So yeah. I think um, remember it's not a person, it's just a really function that's recognizing like a true or false and fixing yeah. it. It's a security function. It's like it's it's like you know, um, like you you hire a firefighter uh, to, or you, like let's say you have an insurance contract with your local fire department, and you're paying a ten dollar a month service so that when your house starts burning down, they come in and uh, you know stop your fire, right? <laughs> they 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 oh, save your house. Okay. So well, uh-huh. they That's don't know what's going on inside the house until it starts burning down and they actually have to go in there and stop it. You know, like they don't, they don't see inside the house until something goes wrong. They actually have to go there and go inside. Um, and watchtowers are very similar until something goes wrong. They don't have any idea what transactions are happening. That's interesting. So do you think there's going to be an LSP or a lightning service provider that actually runs a bunch of watchtowers and you'll pay a fee every month or whatever to, like in a way it's almost like a local tax i hate to say but do you think maybe that's how it'll play more like out? a subscription more like a security lightning security subscription okay but yeah i mean oh, wait, i, I so- could easily see that being the case but then at the same time you got to remember how easy it is to set up a, a watchtower um like it just means okay, that you run anyway, a node so oh sweet sweet this is why and it's open source it's not like it's not like you need it as a service you just need yeah. to be able to it's see not like, it's the not internet like public taxes are paying for stoplights yeah no 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 okay. it's not a it's not like a it's not a public good it is yeah, literally I thought it would a be like default in like lightning infrastructure it potentially could be i imagine it will be for businesses but for yeah. users i don't know it depends on, you know, if something like that. Open and to who. Yeah, it depends on if like something like that, that gets built into a wallet. But uh, as I've talked about in uh, a couple of episodes, um, is that, you know, remember all this means is that you need to be able to look at a node. You need to be able to check the blockchain. Um, but the watchtower itself is like real simple code, open source. You just run it on something. Um, and that's why, like, if you've got an encrypted chat app like Sphinx or WhatsApp or um, Juggernaut that runs over Lightning Network, it makes no sense when you have like a group of friends that are all online chatting with you and they all have their own Lightning pub keys and everything, that everybody in that group isn't a watchtower for everybody else in that group. That like in like the Crypto Economy crew, like where we hang out, like that I am everybody else's watchtower in that group and that everybody else is mine. So somebody in that group is going to be online watching the blockchain 
and we can police each other. We can have a neighborhood watch of people yeah. that we trust. Um, and again, we only give up privacy over what the hell's going on in our channels if something goes wrong. That is when you can see the payment. That is it. Um, and in that situation, I want my money back. So I don't really care if I'm giving up privacy at that point. But, you know, I can also have my desktop at home be my watchtower, have my mobile phone be my watchtower for my desktop. I can have my wife's mobile phone be a watchtower. Like we can, I can have every device in this house um, talking to like, you know, two nodes, one that I've got in like my BTC pay server um, and have mobile phones that are always watching the network. And you can base it off Neutrino. You know, you can have you can have a a very very lightweight one. You don't actually have to run a complete full node, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with uh, the filters that Neutrino does, um, to be able to quickly know whether or not you need to broadcast a transaction on the behalf of a, a conflict in a, in a channel. Um, and we've all got many 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 devices these days. It, it makes no sense that we would. It doesn't make sense that we would inherently have to go trust somebody else. I think there are so many avenues for such a relatively simple service, um, uh, service, quote unquote, as in a piece of software um, that I don't see ever having to rely on somebody else to be a watchtower unless I just want to because I don't care. Yeah. I was just having a little mental mental tangent because you said we there were so many devices. I wonder if there's gonna have to be like an equivalent of like IPv4 addresses on Lightning, and you know we have to max out on that and have to like make it the equivalent of an IPv6, but probably not. Like it's it's a stupid idea. Like we'll probably just like consolidate everything efficiently into where it's just built in one app, and I don't yeah. Know. Just I think I think the tangent. no, I, I like that analogy, actually, because I think about that a lot. Um, I genuinely think like the mempool, like the number of addresses that exist or no, excuse me, not the mempool, not wrong, wrong, wrong word uh, the UTXO set, the number of possible addresses that people can spend from at any current time and combination with the block space that those are our IPv4 problem in Bitcoin that would need that may potentially like down the road need an IPv6 solution, um, whatever that looks like for Bitcoin, um, because we have a limitation that appears to prevent us from scaling, that it appears that we can't add any more devices to the system, <laughs> you know, like like we have this limited block space for the number of transactions that we can do, but therein lies you know, how many times we layered things for IPv4 to continue to scale to a million devices, a hundred million devices, a billion devices. Like we kept pushing it to its limit. Every time we thought we ran out, we squeezed another half a billion devices out of it. Um, and one of those things that we did was we made it so that a home has a single IP address and then you have 30 devices behind it on a local network. We separated those things out. And I think we're going to see something very similar happen on Bitcoin. And I think Lightning is a good example of that. Yeah. Is that where you have one transaction on Bitcoin and behind that offline on a local network or on, on an off chain network, quote unquote, you can have 10,000 transactions in a channel. You can yeah. have... And I was actually asking JW about this because I was learning about this in like a little pen testing course I have yet to finish. But it's really, it pairs well with the concept of a deflationary asset. 
mm-hmm. where like the value of it increases the more that you cut it in half. So, <laughs> yeah. Like I think the problem will fix itself just naturally. It's inclined to, but yeah. it's always fun to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, I think the incentives are very strongly aligned. Um, and the development focus is very much concerning those potentialities. Um, and it's the focus on building with those aligned incentives and the change in how people think about these things will produce the results we ultimately want. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have a massive amount of work to do and that we don't need to stay ultra focused on that. We don't need to keep reiterating, not your keys, not your coins, non-custodial, teach people how to use these things, direct them to the right services. In fact, just the opposite is that we need to keep doing that because that is what is going to get us there. Like that is our job in this is to make sure that the noobs are pointed in the right direction, that they're using the right services and that they're doing the right things. And that when those technologies come about, we make them more user friendly that we uh, we make note of them and pay very close attention to it um but i think it is that way and um i think it will continue to be yeah and this probably answers my question here about you mentioned taking all the the pros from all the different wallets and putting it into one mm-hmm. doing that though that's not really taxing the bitcoin core protocol would it no into one wallet that's that wouldn't have to require like a soft fork at all oh no 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 that's just kind of the beauty of it is that like development is happening from so many different areas that one wallet solves one problem and another wallet solves another problem really really well um like the just the separate focus and the fact that lightning because it's off chain because it's a because it's a second layer, lightning development is happening at a thousand x the pace of Bitcoin development. Um, because you don't have to have soft forks to you know implement uh, amps, you know, to implement loop in, loop out, to implement um, uh, you know splicing and channels and all of that stuff. Um, and combining all of those tools together is just you know like you can you can have an app to uh uh. uh I mean, if anything, it creates a division of labor and a competition up for those companies. Yeah. uh, But it wouldn't be beneficial to them to keep the model the way it is. It would really be the most efficient for them to take all those pros and put them into their own individual apps. And I guessed, I guessed, and (laughs) and and I guess try to, I don't know, out compete their service via marketing right because Mm -hmm. i can see a benefit in keeping things the way they are because oh well we have this oh well we have this and you don't kind of deal yeah but but the in the market though everybody is trying to get you to use their wallet right which means that if uh a problem has been solved and they don't implement it they run the risk of someone switching to a different wallet so yeah uh they it's it's all all about how quickly they can integrate yeah. Well, it, it won't, maybe that's the thing like is they'll never really, they'll never really all be the same. Um, you know, like they will, there will be constant uh, evolution of these things. And um, I think development and implementation of these ideas will happen at a grueling pace. Um, uh, I kind of think it has for some time now. Uh, like I've said over and over again, it's, I, I can't believe the night and day difference of using Lightning 
seven or eight months ago and using lightning today yeah. like they don't even look like the same thing um and uh, i think that's going to continue and everybody's going to implement all of the new stuff as soon as it's relatively like as soon as it's not hashtag reckless <laughs> you know um and things are coming out of beta they're going to be adopted and in you know in a matter of a month or two if you're the wallet that hasn't implemented it you're going to be left behind um yeah. and it's just going to keep evolving and keep moving and we'll get you know after we after we figure out a way to onboard 10 million new users very quickly then you have a five percent improvement somewhere and that's another five hundred thousand people where, where does that come from you just just pull out of my ass okay. just just but still the words out of my mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but but the idea that if we solve some major problem, every incremental improvement after that compounds on the previous problem solved. So, and Lightning being off chain and being able to onboard and handle so many more transactions than the underlying Bitcoin layer can, um, that any incremental improvement to the trustlessness of that, any incremental improvement on how to aggregate channels, opening and closing, an incremental improvement like Taproot of uh, making those transactions themselves smaller on the Bitcoin blockchain. All of these improvements will compound on each other and you'll go from 10 million to 50 million to 100 million rather quickly. Um, and again, it won't be necessarily reliant on the base layer. You, there are so many improvements to be made just on the second layer and on the third layer and channel factories and all of these things that um, it's just, yeah. I, I, I think... I think it's kind of like Andreas says, is that we will fail to scale indefinitely in a very graceful way, just like the internet. The internet it, was it, it, always... It's not even that. And like you said, sorry to interrupt, sorry. No, yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting excited here. But <laughs> just the problems solve themselves when they need to be solved. And mm -hmm. everything else is just basically like a subjective little petty bitch from us. <laughs> We're just... It's the nature of just being humans and having a high time preference, really. Yeah. It's just like wanting things fixed now. Like, go and, back to the payments argument. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And that's that's one of the funny things is that I think the fee market is so important to that because as humans, we love to procrastinate. As humans, we love to say, oh, we'll deal with this later. Oh, we'll, we'll, oh, we'll figure this out. You know, I know this needs to be done, but, you know, right now, let's not worry about it. I mean, Lightning Network is a great example of that. Like, if we could have just kicked the can down the road and kept increasing the block size, would it have ever happened? No. Like, 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 how long would it be before we had admitted that we had to bite the bullet and we had to move, we have to figure out how to build a sustainable, reliable layer two? Um, we may have just never really done it. Or it would have just been a handful of volunteers that were completely stuck on trying to do it by themselves and it never really got developed. But that fee market puts that pressure on us that when we want to procrastinate, when fees spike, we're like, shit, we really should do it now. We yeah. really do need to move our development. We really need to shift our focus to planning for that future 10 years from now, because here's an example of what it could look like if we don't solve this problem. Um, and each iteration is exponential. Like exactly. Into, into. It compounds on each other. So every time we have these these small improvements and every time this pressure shows back up, it reiterates the need 
of where we have to focus this thing. And we have a market for determining the price of that. Um, and I think that's a really, really powerful thing. Um, that incentives are aligned and we're constantly being given the pressure we need to move in the right direction. And that pressure almost seems counterintuitive because this is my first impression of why I was at first falling for like the Bcash side over the, the you know, Bitcoin core side, which mm -hmm. is retarded. It's just Bitcoin. But the <laughs> self-imposed pressure just seems like how, how in anatomy of the states, it's not natural for this authoritarian entity to prevent individuals from progressing through coercion or whatever. But see, that's not the case with Bitcoin is because we want it as minimal as possible to have that core economic foundation because it's like having that first layer like on the internet and like that one piece, like the seven layers of, of uh, financial cryptography yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like it's that's not us being self-defeating that's us succeeding and everyone mm -hmm. else not understanding that's what requires of yeah it. yeah and th there is this ultimate trade-off between the amount of data being validated and the cost of validating and you know exit cost or no um uh validation cost is whether or not that exit has any integrity to it so the ability to exit is also in like there's just so many factors involved and there are inherent trade-offs and i think i think that, again like i've you know i've tried to disprove myself and i can't tell you how many i spent a year and a half trying to figure out about the big block versus small block argument. And I think there's more fundamental than merely the block size, more fundamental problems with, you know, just changing the consensus rules themselves. Yeah. It um, goes back to first principles, man. It goes back to first principles, exactly. Um, and, you know, even if we ever do need more block space, I don't think we should change the block spot, block size. I think we should work on, you know, soft forking in extension blocks. Um, I think that makes more sense. Um, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Uh, that means that... We're not touching the cap size. No, okay. no. Like, so extension blocks are just a way to process transactions in parallel to Bitcoin by having, like, think of it like, <clears throat> let's say we wanted to double the block size. Well, we would have uh, new nodes um, uh, essentially merged mine in a sense. Like, it's kind of a way to think about them. Uh, a second block that is also one megabyte that is next to it. And you would send transactions back and forth between these two parallel chains that are still fully auditable, but you would need to have like 90% of the nodes on the network checking that extension block to have the security, the, the same or comparable security. Essentially it's though- It had to be like a economic incentive, other than the strong economic incentive that there already is to keep yeah. the protocol in check and safe and you know, having the proof of work being so expensive and, you know, trustworthy. Uh, I think the, the inherent... This is the first time I'm hearing this, so I'm trying to, like, just piece it together. Okay. Uh, the, the only point I'm trying to make with that is that if there is a no-other-option-available sort of uh, reality that we have to come to in 10 or 15 years about having to put more data on the chain and then of course if you know 
devices have become so much more powerful that running a Bitcoin node is literally just booting an app up on your mobile phone and you could run it indefinitely. Like if it's just like the cost is so tiny that it just doesn't matter, then we can add, we can still soft fork in a block size increase through something like there are mechanisms to add block space that is backwards compatible without changing the consensus rules and without uh, potentially altering the uh, opening up an alteration to the monetary policy and that sort of things. There are alternatives to it. Um, I still, again, you know, I think that's a when we get there 10 or 15 years down the road. Um, and I think there are so many thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands or millions of improvements that can be made on layer two and layer three and new things that can be built with the tools that we have uh, that I, who knows if we'll ever even get to that point. But that option is always available. You know, it just doesn't need a hard fork. And I think a hard fork is so dangerous in so many other ways unless it's done on like a decades long time scale and tested uh, and beaten to death for essentially the length of time that Bitcoin has already been alive, then I just don't think it makes anything sense. I think it's a terrible, terrible idea, um, just in a general uh, assessment. For sure. So tell me about sidechains, man, and the whole concept <laughs> of sending somebody your private key or sending a key. Oh, you mean state uh, chains? State chains specifically? Oh, yes, specifically. Yeah. Yeah, so state chains is a uh, sidechain. That's what you had ribbon on for, right? Mechanism, yes, okay, yes. All that shit went over my head. So, <laughs> okay. Um, so sidechains are another great way to offload uh, transactional capacity side onto chains or state chains. Uh, side chains in general. State chains, okay. I think. I think you would classify state chains as a version of a sidechain, right, uh, right. a kind. Because um, sidechain just means that you're essentially depositing. You're essentially making a Bitcoin transaction that sends it to a sidechain. And then you do a whole bunch of stuff on the sidechain. You have these certain features and these certain capacities on the sidechain. And then you can withdraw from the sidechain back to Bitcoin. Like, and that's so it's, really just marked on Bitcoin as like a hash of all of that activity. Exactly. Like the Bitcoin doesn't really see any of it. It's just the signature to and the signature from the sidechain. And everything that happens on the sidechain is not important to Bitcoin. Um, like that is, it's vulnerable to the trade-offs, trust trade-offs of that sidechain. It has all the features of the sidechain. So you could have a Mimblewimble sidechain, you know, you could have a Zcash sidechain, an Ethereum sidechain that has all of the, I mean, it literally looks identical to Ethereum and you send your money to it and then you do your DeFi crap if you want to do that. And then you can send money back to Bitcoin. Um, but, uh, uh, side chains, I still think there are, um, uh, some significant trust minimization improvements that need to happen for who is running the side chain. Um, and I think that that is where the heart of the problem is. Like there's a couple of different mechanisms like drive chains, which have a degree of, um, a trust minimization. Then there's like liquid, which is like a big federated thing, which is essentially like, uh, like almost like a proof of stake sort of security mechanism. Um, I didn't know that. It sort of is like like it essentially is a giant multi-sig. You know, if you have like forty exchanges and businesses distributed all over the world in a bunch of different jurisdictions running this side chain, well, you have to have 
<clears throat> you have to have like two thirds of them, I think, to sign for withdrawal from the side chain. So essentially like if you had 40, you could have 10 of those exchanges all at once be completely compromised or legally taken over by a government or something like that. But the side chain would still not be susceptible to corruption. But if like, you know, 10 different governments around the world, all the major ones cracked down on all of them at once and grabbed all their keys and, you know, took over their networks and like 30 of those exchanges and services and companies, well, then immediately all of the value on that side chain would be vulnerable to confiscation because the majority of the network would be able to um, uh, basically corrupt it, essentially. Um, yeah, and but I so, mean, that's always going to be a problem. I mean, that's just what can happen to any company. To some degree, yeah. Um, uh, and that's just kind of the risk. That's the trade-off with sidechains. You're not trusting one exchange. You're it's it's like a custodial, it's it's custodial multi-sig, <laughs> like where when you send your money to an exchange, that exchange if that exchange gets hacked, you're screwed. If uh, that exchange gets compromised by the government, you're screwed. Like that is the single point of failure. Uh, but something like Liquid, this is the one I'm using as my example in my head. Yeah. Uh, if there are forty exchanges on it. Well, then any one exchange that you send money to has basically 39 backups. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's, so it's better to think of it as a platform. As a yes, really. yes. It's, it's, it's more like a, a, a half, like, like, like partially custodial service where as long as you're distributed enough across enough services and enough keys, well, then there is a much lower degree of trusting than simply having a single point of failure of like, I'm just depositing on Mt. Gox. And if Mt. Gox goes out of business or Mt. Gox get hacked, I'm screwed. I'm just done. Um, they have to hack Mt. Gox, Binance, uh, Bittrex, uh, the, you know, Swan Bitcoin, like what, whoever is you know, part of this cons consortium uh, that all of them essentially have to be hacked at once or like half of them or two thirds and then whatever the heck it is i can't i can't remember yeah. exactly Those have to be hacked all at once make up, make up the federation <clears throat> yes yes okay. i was thinking um, like this is stupid but i was thinking it's the people that work at blockstream they make up the federation <laughs> um, but they themselves would just be like a fraction of the federation yeah they're just they're just one set of keys again that um is providing infrastructure to this network um and in that way that's why i say it's like kind of like proof of stake is that Proof of stake relies on like all the big parties agreeing like on keeping the system safe, right? Like of not cheating it. But if you, uh, um, if they all agreed to cheat the system together, well, then they could like, like, you right. know, um, and you know, something Whereas like, there's no like 51% trade off. Uh, yeah. Like, like delegated proof of stake or whatever. Like they just have like delegated signers. Um, I think it's like, uh, eos or whatever it's like 23 or something like that so if like I 18 of them were like there, really. no yeah I, <laughs> I wouldn't um but like so if like 18 of them decided that they wanted to change the rules or whatever they just could they did just be like oh, all right well we'll just these are the new consensus rules and these are the ones that are valid and everybody just you know follow us that's it's just, you know like that it's unlikely but it could certainly happen um and that's how i think you should treat some sort of a system like that a side chain like that um yeah. Now, state chains, state chains is 
really interesting because it's a completely different model. State Chains actually is kind of like a mix between a sidechain and Lightning Network. Um, it has a very similar mechanism to Lightning uh, in that there is a... Uh, the, the one difference with uh, State Chains is that there is a <clears throat> essentially a signer in the agreement. Hmm, God, what's the best way to explain this without getting too technical? Um, so with Lightning, uh, I've just got a channel set up between me and you, right? Mm-hmm. In State Chains, I want to send my Bitcoin key from me to you, but I need to make sure that mine is no longer valid and yours is now the valid one. But since I'm sending you the exact same key, technically I can spend those Bitcoins too, right? Like I, I still have the key. Like I'll keep a copy of it. It needs to be outdated somehow. Um, obviously on the Bitcoin system, it's just replaced. My key is replaced with your key. In a state chain, I am literally just sending you the exact same key that I had. Um, and because now, it maintains the state of what's because happening. It, exactly. The Bitcoin on the chain don't move at all. Um, but what's happening is that we're using a state chain operator, some sort of a service or a bank or key uh, opportunity here, a giant federation like Liquid, um, where there's like 40 different signers or whatever, that are keeping track of the sequence of events that have, that have happened. So after I send it to you, you are number 43 in the chain and I'm number 42. Therefore, all of those Federation members will keep track of 43 is the valid one. And if I try to broadcast 42, they will, it is their job to replace it with number 43. Um, so they're there. And, and how does the current model work? Uh, with Bitcoin? Yeah, like without state chains. Uh, I just, I don't send you my key because then you would have access to all of my Bitcoin. I'm not sending you my entire wallet balance. I'm just um, taking Bitcoin out of mine and assigning it to your key. So we're replacing keys. There's a new key at every stage. In oh, this so instance, in, so in this, this instance, key, we're... It's, sorry, go ahead. In this instance, we're exchanging the same key and keeping a chronology of who has that key at any one time and making sure that only the last one is the valid one. So that the last owner is the one that um, can spend it and nobody else previously can. Right. And obviously, like fundamental question, it's a private key. Otherwise, you won't have the permission to spend those funds. Exactly. Exactly. But that private key essentially has... Updates the the state of who is owning the key and what so if you are i'll just use the word state state 42 but then you send the key to me state 43 the current and updated state is 43 and only 43 can spend and then yes. when i send that back to you now maybe it's updated to 44 or whatever. Yes, I am now 44. 44 and... it's a different person that we choose to have them enter into this. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, so none of that is really applicable right now? Like you cannot do that on Lightning at this point? Well, see, Lightning actually works very similarly except without the state. So so um, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the interesting thing about that is that when I'm doing that, I have to send an entire UTXO because I'm sending a private key to an amount of Bitcoins, right? I can't like send you half of those. 
Like, so if I've got 1.1 Bitcoin, then I have to send you a private key for exactly 0.1 Bitcoin. It gives you full access to that 0.1 Bitcoin. And that's where uh, the analogy that I used when trying to explain it on the show was um, that it's like creating digital bills. Like where I have a $100 bill, I can't like yeah. tear that in half and give you 50 of it. Is this what you mean by people ha uh, sharing UTXO ownership? Um, partially, this is, this is one extension of it. I think the, the idea of sharing a UTXO uh, ownership comes in a thousand different forms. I think that's okay. just the nature of where we will get our scaling um, okay. is that I think Lightning is a great example of sharing UTXO ownership, uh, batching, uh, taproot. Um, and having multiple different, you know, contracts to execute out of outside of a complex agreement, um, uh, state chains, side chains, all of these are great yeah. examples of one UTXO being used in an incredibly broad and uh, widespread way. Yeah, but in this case, uh, like our example is akin to, you know, you give me a hundred dollar bill and I give you back that same hundred dollar bill. And in exactly. this case, you're sending me. 0.1 bitcoin i'm receiving 0.1 bitcoin as if it's like a physical real digital bear asset like express as an open dime or whatever mm -hmm. um and what's really cool about that is because you're back to digital bills you can also have digital change so like i could have a wallet that has a you know a 0.5 bitcoin balance in state chains and yeah. that is with 3.1 bitcoin utxos um uh 10.01 Bitcoin UTXOs and 100.001. Like, like I've got dollars, uh, like I've got a hundred dollar bills. like one UTXO class. Yeah, your and wallet would just see it as a balance if, yeah. you know, if this ultimately got implemented. Um, but like but, if you dissect it and send it into different pieces, like as if it was change, mm -hmm. it's still like the, the ideal goal is to just have like one UTXO address and then just categorize like the chain change into like whatever the hell it's going to be like the equivalent to like five dollars out of that hundred like a five dollar bill uh being composed out of that hundred dollar bill or mm -hmm. like quarter just dimes nickels and pennies coming from like a dollar from that five dollar bill out of the hundred dollar bill but yeah. like the the main goal is to be able to separate it without creating all this really pork uh clutter of different utxo addresses we want it based from the same utxo yeah in 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 a sense like at the end of the day we want to have as little footprint as possible on the chain right and state yeah. chains allows us to move transactions and change the ownership of coins that exist of current utxos uh, without having to broadcast to the chain at all yeah. um and uh you i gave think me a nickel it's my nickel now <laughs> exactly um and the state chain is going to enforce that you're the only one that can spend it yeah. um man and it's uh, really it, it's it's going back to the first principle concept of having that digital bearer asset or you know sending me an email with an with a pdf on it or mm -hmm. the photo so like you know it's not my photo now it's your photo mm -hmm. but it's just like that to a much more granular degree mm -hmm. yeah and and again you know that's the beauty of that's why i love calling bitcoin i don't remember who it was that first really pointed this out to me but i love the idea of calling it a time chain because the ultimate purpose of bitcoin is to tell a universal state of chronology 
Yeah. Like, is that who and that owns what? And if state change, you're updating the state, you're updating the time. <clears throat> exactly. You want to make sure that you can't go back in history so that the current owner is the owner. End yeah. of story. Um, and there's so many different ways that we can do that and we can apply that technology. And we've got this ultimate settlement layer that is the ultimate arbiter of that truth of what happened when. Um, and it's just... I think there's just going to be so many powerful tools that come from this. And, you know, we haven't solved all the problems, like not even close. We've still got plenty of things to fix, plenty of things to consider. Um, and I love that even with the the potential risk to lightning and stuff of like having to, you know, deal with the fees um, with the lightning channel and the risk of having to close a, uh, a conflicting balance or, or a conflicting, uh, a conflict transaction, like, like when, you know, when something breaks down in a lightning channel, um, uh, having to deal transaction do what or an injustice. Exactly. Exactly. An injustice transaction. What? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like having to do something like that, uh, having to deal with that with a high fee scenario with like seeing, exactly what the risk is again i think it's like one of those situations where we would have put it off as long as we could but as long as we have that pressure as long as we do have these periods of like the mimple spiking and having to deal with a you know 70 block delay you know like a backlog um it gets us to solve those problems now to start thinking about them and to to never let that never let our guard down always think adversarially always think where are we requiring trust can we remove it? Is there something we can build? Let's stay hyper-focused on that. Let's let's keep privacy in this. Let's make this as sustainable as possible and make sure at the end of the day, no matter what we are doing, we are not compromising the sound monetary aspect of this protocol. Um, and I, I think that I, I think that's the, the potential here is just huge. Um, and I think we will solve the problems. I what think we will. What really excited me the most about that is the update the uh, updating the ownership and time just emphasizes and reasserts how Bitcoin is the the digital peer to peer cash as yeah. it was intended to be. Yeah, it, like yeah. anything that can remind me or prove as evidence of that is just it, it, I don't know. It's like the ultimate form of confirmation bias <laughs> and like the ultimate like to any altcoiner or a bcash or whatever it's like yeah, yeah it is indefinitely still cash yeah, i love it a lot more complex i guess or i guess not i'm i don't know it is complex on the back end you know it is it is a lot more complex um but that's because you're you're applying the ultimate like digital sound money to more things like that's that's the nature like the internet is shockingly complex like just unbelievably so but once you have like that base dna you know like an organism is so stupidly complex that even with being able to sequence all of our dna and like like test and like for a thousand years we've been looking at and trying to figure out what the hell's going on in our bodies we still don't understand it we just don't know what the hell's going on but when you have these core building blocks these uh these uh you know four uh dna particles like that that can lay a strong foundation 
the amount of complexity you can stack on top of that doesn't compromise the underlying system. Like you can you can get so much um, application and complexity on top of it if you have a strong foundation to rely on at the end of the day, one that you know isn't susceptible to any sort of manipulation or corruption and works in the most uh, you know extreme sets of circumstances. Um, and I think we're seeing something very similar to that with the internet, with Bitcoin. Um, and it will get increasingly complex as we go up in layers. But that is exactly how we'll solve more and more complex problems and, you know, do more with it. Uh, but ultimately, we will have a unbelievably hardened, uncompromising foundation at the Bitcoin base layer that nobody can touch, um, that is incorruptible. And, and that's the key is that we can always go back down the layer and enforce who is the owner of what. Um, it's the court. It's it, that's <laughs> right. It's the it's the ultimate arbiter of truth. Um, and I think I don't know. It's it's fascinating one way or the other. Like we're gonna figure it out. Like look at how many minds there are on it. Look at the look at the explosion of this space. Like nobody's going anywhere. Like these people, we're not gonna stop building. You know, we're not gonna stop trying to figure this out. And at the exact same time, all of our predictions and all of our uh, explanations of how unbelievably dangerous and how massive the systemic risk of the legacy system is are coming to fruition. So we're realizing a thousand times more importantly today than we did five years ago how critical it is that we have this alternative, that we absolutely need it or, you know, the... the we're going to live through hell if we don't, if we don't fix this, like w there's nothing good about our future in the legacy system, you know, like it's all we're looks like shit. Reckless, like we're living in it. Yeah. We have federal reserve century. hashtag reckless as AF, you know, like just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and, and because of that, like the, the need and the focus on this is not going to de decrease. It's going to explode upward. Like we're going to see it as more and more important because if we don't fix it, well, then we're just giving up. You know, we're just saying like, all right, well, we're all going to die and we're all going to be, we're all going to succumb to uh, the government just telling us all of what all what to do. It's going to be a dystopic future. We're not going to have any privacy. We're not going to have any autonomy. We're just going to be a giant communist blob of idiocy. And do we want that? Like, is it, are we literally just going to roll over and let that happen? No. I certainly hope not. I'd, you know, my hope in the species would just be completely just like, holy shit, like we are not at all the humans that I thought we were. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, as long as they don't try to take advantage of Bitcoin to impose that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, ION sounds cool, but if you don't have complete control over your identity at the end of the day, and you don't have the power to say what you do and do not want to share, then that completes that defeats the whole point of like what Bitcoin is supposed to be based off of. Totally Otherwise agree. you're just using it like as your bitch and bastardizing what it's all about. <laughs> no, I totally agree. That's why I've been reluctant about ION. Like I'm really excited about it just because of the, what they claim they are focused on and like how it supposedly works and the degree of privacy you can supposedly get. Um, and I know that's possible, like what they claim, but I don't understand how the hell it works. Like I, I can't, there doesn't seem to be a, english version of all of their uh, of the mechanism and how it works exactly yet yeah that i, I mean, can really follow so i'll wait 
I'll keep talking about it and I'll keep, you know, eager about updates and stuff. And I, I trust Casa that if they're working with this and developing with this, um, yeah. that, you know, they're not working on something that's just a big giant surveillance machine. Like they, they, they're aware of exactly those, those important principles that need to be adhered to. Um, so that's why I'm interested in it because there are people that I trust involved. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, LOP came from Microsoft, right? Did he come from I Microsoft? Think, I don't even I don't remember know. that. But like, it's it's Microsoft like leading it, but like Casa is working with them to mm -hmm. do this, right? They're so working with a lot of people, and the the teams and developers that I've seen comments and statements from all seem to have the right focus. Um, but again, I just don't know how the system works, so it's yeah. just one of those things. But it, it rem reminded me too much of again the Federal Reserve, like all your intentions that you publicly claim. Don't mean Jack if you can't back it up. <laughs> well, yeah, but not only that, like those weren't their intentions. Their intentions were to create that cartel. And again, not to sound like a kook or a paranoid or tinfoil hat man, but it's uh, it, it's hard to not always expect the worst and be negative, but it's also hard to not say, I'm just being realistic based on what's happened in, in history. Yeah. So like, I'm positive. Again, no, that's fair. this goes back to the incentives of Bitcoin in itself are so inherently like virtuous and mm -hmm. aligned with everyone that hopefully what whoever does work adjacent to Bitcoin is about that. Mm -hmm. uh, again, like, I guess Coinbase aside, but <laughs> I don't know. I can go on a paranoid rant, but I don't want to. But I'm just going to like hope for the best and cross my fingers and toes. I don't know. Just keep focused on the right things. Keep talking about the right things. Um, and whatever you can build or um, spread spread the word of, you know, that that's why we're here. I'm yeah. not going anywhere. I'm on, I'm going to keep going as hard as I can on staying on top of all of this stuff and trying to explain it to everybody, to you, you know, and everybody else, um, anybody who cares to listen. Um, uh, so that's, that's, that's all we can do is stay focused and move in the right direction yep evangelize cool man so let's just wrap it up there great place right. to do so uh any updates about the show or events like bit block boom as we're both going to yo yo about that. um yeah i'm super jacked about bit block boom uh i don't think they've published anything about like the the talks or anything so i'm gonna keep that under wraps until i have to give it to gary <laughs> um uh but you know offer code cc like uh and you've got your own code now don't you sue yeah okay PSEU people PSEU. um so uh just don't forget that you can get 30 percent discounts on that like because that's a huge chunk of change and especially yeah. if you're spending it in bitcoin um especially also if you're spending it six months after the announcement because the price <laughs> exactly, of tickets go up exactly so as do. soon as i don't know how soon tickets went on sale last time but i heard it was pretty quick and they were pretty cheap mm -hmm. like 20 bucks like starting or i don't i don't know but i'm gonna keep a keen keen eye and ear on that yeah Jump so get them now happens. get them now uh bitcoin audible though you know just keep doing my thing um I hope to have some announcements and some new stuff soon, but 
you know, my, my ability to focus and my time is all over the place. Um, what I'm working on right now though, is a Bitcoin beginners series. Um, and, uh, so that's something that will come out soon. I'll probably post it on the podcast, I imagine. Um, but you know, potentially on YouTube or something as well. Um, so that's a big one. And it should be any day now. I kind of was expecting it this week and it hasn't landed yet. Um, but we've got Masir Mamadov's audiobook. Uh, this book will save you time. Uh, and then we've also got Knut Svan Holmes' new book, uh, Bitcoin Independence Reimagined. I submitted those on the same day. So both of those will be dropping very, very soon on Audible. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. And I'll probably be doing a, another giveaway uh, when they do of uh, those two books and whichever one that I did not include in the last one. I can't even remember what it was now. Did you do 21 Lessons? In the I did 21 Lessons in the last giveaway. Um, and I may do that one again because I still have some codes left for that one. Oh, and then um, Inventing Bitcoin had a giveaway, I think. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that will be coming soon. Uh, keep an ear out for that. And uh, yeah, bought a lot of other things on the back burner, but uh, nothing I'll share yet. Just subscribe and listen to Bitcoin Audible. You'll hear about it. That's <laughs> all I can do. Soon, TM. Soon. Soon, TM. Guy, thanks a lot, man. Like I've said, I've learned so much about Bitcoin because of you and like anyone else just entering Bitcoin or who has been here. You do such a service for the community and it's great. And I'm just having so much fun. Again, not the same person I was <laughs> a year ago. And yeah, people join the Telegram group. It's, it's It gets wild, it gets fun. And it's a great resource. A lot of great people open to answer questions because uh, just the, again, the incent incentives are so aligned and just inherently people are great because of Bitcoin and what it does. Because as Gigi says, it changes you before you change it. So get <laughs> on that. You're more than welcome. But Guy, thanks so much for your time, man. Really awesome, man. It. I appreciate it. That, make, that makes me happy. That's, that's, that's what I'm here to do is I'm just trying to explain stuff to people and help them get over the hump. The, thing that, the things that took me five, six years to internalize and figure out and understand, I'm trying to turn that into six months for everybody else, hopefully. So it yeah. uh, make, makes me feel good to know that people are getting value out of that. Thanks for being our Sherpa. <laughs> cool beans, man. All right, man. Peace out. Thanks, dude. Later. So